Welcome to Dreaming of Home. I'm Gemma Rolls-Bentley, host of this new podcast series launched in conjunction with a group show I curated at the Leslie Lohman Museum of Art in New York City that springboards from Catherine Opie's artwork, Self-Portrait Cutting. The photo, taken in 1993, depicts Kathy Opie from behind. A childlike scene of two lesbians holding hands next to a house under the clouds has been cut into her back. The exhibition features 20 of today's most groundbreaking artists, reflecting on the rapid and tumultuous shifts experienced by LGBTQIA communities in the 30 years since Kathy's photograph. In the upcoming episodes, I am joined in the search for home by artists from the exhibition and Leslie Lohman Museum art workers as we explore queer people's hope for a happy, healthy future and the restrictions imposed by wider society on our dreams, our relationships, our families and our bodies. It's my great pleasure to introduce our two brilliant guests today, whose collaborative photo project is included in the Dreaming of Home exhibition. Zachary Drucker is an American multimedia artist, director and producer who has dedicated her work to telling stories that expand our cultural understanding of difference. Los Angeles-based, Zachary is a trans woman and activist who often works collaboratively to share narratives about gender-expansive people and women to humanise the impact of transphobia and misogyny. She seeks to reach the broadest possible audience to liberate the maximum number of people. Amos Mack is an out-trans artist and screenwriter, originally from Augusta and Philadelphia, with a history that includes a career as a photographer, magazine editor and indie publisher. Amos is a proud Writers Guild of America West member who has written and produced on shows, including two seasons of Gossip Girl for HBO Max, Why the Last Man on FX, and most recently on the upcoming Norman Lear comedy Clean Slate for Amazon Freebie. He co-wrote the award-winning process documentary No Ordinary Man, focusing on the life and death of jazz musician and unlikely trans icon Billy Tipton. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you so much. What a gift. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited to hear from you both. So we have two photographs from the series that you made together. Distance is where the heart is. Home is where you hang your heart, included in Dreaming of Home. And your work actually was a real gift for me because when I started working with Leslie Lohman Museum on the exhibition, they gave me access to their 30,000 piece collection. And I was delighted to discover that these two works were both in the collection and they're just a really perfect fit for the show and for the themes that I'm exploring. So one of the images has you, Zachary, hanging from the bottom banister of a staircase. You're wearing a cardigan, high heels, no no bottoms. And then in the second image, you're lying naked on a dining table while someone working works in the kitchen in the background. And in both of the images, Zachary, your face is obscured or turned away from the camera and your body appears quite rigid and angular. And you collaborated on this project in 2010 during a visit to Zachary's hometown of Syracuse in New York. And the photo series was first published as a periodical titled Trans Lady Fanzine and then exhibited at Louis de Jesus Gallery in Los Angeles. And then before I hear from you both on this project, I just want to read this lovely quote that I read from Amos, where you said, During that time, we explored spaces where Zachary spent her formative years armed with only our collaboration in mind and my camera, using the surroundings available to us, including her childhood home, 
the local high school's football field and a chest filled with her aunt's vintage clothing, what resulted was a series rooted in cross-identity trans representation. So, we've got you both here, which is super exciting, and I'd love to start by hearing from you both, if you could introduce this project to us and tell us a bit about why you came together to make this work. And before you start, please, could you also just both share your pronouns with us? I'm Zachary, and I use the she, her pronouns like an old school trans woman, like the old school trans woman that I am. And I'm Amos, (laughs) and I use he, him, like the old school trans man that I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I would love, I mean, I would love to give you a little prologue um, in terms of, you know, we can start with this body of work. Um, But even before that body of work, just maybe for some context for where trans people in America were at the time, coming of age as a young trans person in the early 2000s, trans women traditionally, especially if they were coming from queer community, were in the clubs or in public sex worker spaces, right? Like clubs that catered to tricks, or streets, strolls where trans women were, or in the clubs. And it was pretty much one or the other. In Los Angeles, in the early 2000s, there was very little happening in nightlife. And simultaneously, trans men were coming from community organizing, social justice spaces, and, you know, universities. And there was a much more cohesive scene around trans masculinity forming at this time. And Amos and Rocco had started Original Plumbing. And the first time I went to a fundraiser for Original Plumbing in San was Francisco, in 2008 2009, or probably at the stud. I remember that's where we first met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was, it was, For me, this is around the time that I was really fully injecting estrogen. I'd been kind of on testosterone blockers for years and estrogen and progesterone pills, but things really kicked in around that time, 2008. And I was in a relationship with a trans guy. We made a series of photographs together, researched relationship. And we lived with a friend of ours who's also a trans man. So I had like all this trans man energy. And that was really my entrance into the trans world. And when Amos approached me to collaborate on a body of work, I was super excited because I was already a fan of his work and of original plumbing and um, have always thought of photography as an opportunity to bond and create deep, intimate connection. I'm nodding my head in agreement because um, I remember meeting Zachary at the stud in San Francisco and then later just knowing of her work of films that she had worked on and, and, and performances that she had created. And I was always longing to... I used my camera and my, you know, 
my my work as a as a photographer to to connect and bond with other trans people and with original plumbing it was all trans men trans guys you know telling their stories and i wanted to dig a bit deeper and create something that could that was less bound to the pages of the magazine of original plumbing less interview based and um my first thought was was Zachary and I remember reaching out to her to collaborate on something you know really didn't have much of an idea other than a body of work what can we do together and her response saying something to using the language of I would love to create performative images some it was some it, that was your response and that was the first time I thought of that term in terms of like the collaborative experience with you of what we would be creating and they are performative images the way that your body zachary is contorted in this home, in this domestic setting it appears quite vulnerable exposed there's an anonymity there there's definitely a kind of a feeling of unease but then also there's this autobiographical element it's not an interview but it does kind of take us on this journey take us back to your roots so i wondered you know why you decided together to present the body, you know, in that context of early life, home, and make us think about sort of childhood. Absolutely. I am sure that I anticipated my parents would not stay in that house where I'd spent the majority of my childhood. And in hindsight, I'm so grateful that we did make this series of works because a few short years later, they sold the house and moved on with their lives. And so it really is a marker in time and to inhabit a space that is the site of your development, the site of your primary years of development was a kind of resurrection, invocation, exorcising of the darker parts of childhood and to revisit those spaces in a fully actualized self and space and to do it with a co-conspirator was really a tremendous catharsis. It was really deeply meaningful and in particular going to my high school where I was relentlessly bullied as an out queer person in the 90s. And Amos and I are from the same generation. We were really swimming upstream. And in 2010 and creating this body of work, I mean, just for even more context, it was very unprecedented at the time, not only to have this cross-gender dialogue and collaboration, but to create media out of it. Because community spaces were extremely rare at the time. And certainly they happened in nonprofit spaces and cities for young people, but it was more of an anti-community than a community. And that idea of an anti-community, I invoke from Flawless Sabrina, who always referred to that as kind of the prehistory, like the time before there was 
a galvanized and more cohesive group of people communicating with each other and fellowshipping. At this point in 2009, we were really creating that for the first time. But back to the football field, (laughs) you know, being in this space where I just was such an outlier and felt like a space alien as a teen. (laughs) And to go back there is this beautiful woman was just a dream and uh, will forever be sealed in my visual memory of this lifetime. And in all of our visual memories, everyone who's been lucky enough to, to see to see that series. And Amos, what was it like, you know, do, what was the process of this collaboration like for you? I remember feeling that in from the beginning, it felt so natural. And I didn't know Zachary other than I knew she was an artist. I knew some of her work and but the sheer generosity of inviting me to her family home over the Christmas holiday to create this work. And I don't, it wasn't very, I feel like it came together pretty quickly, Zachary, in terms of the timeline. And then I was like on a plane um, from the pitch to, you know, arriving in New York. I, I just remember feeling like I had known her for a very long time. There was a connection there of trust and it felt like I was getting to know her the entire time. You know, she's led me into this intimate space all over Syracuse. And, um, but, you know, she hard, she hardly knew me as well. So I think that I, I, the ones that stand out the most for me as well are the, the high school. The one that he's sitting, the bleachers in the middle of the snow. Um, because we all can really, I mean, not maybe I'll speak for myself as a trans person who was in, who was not exactly fitting in in the nineties in high school, in the suburban high school. It wasn't, uh, you know, I, I felt like I, even though I'm not in that picture, I feel very much a part of it. And I feel like I can relate to that moment of being like, you know, you've made it to the other side. And you really feel that power in the work, that kind of revisiting and reclaiming a narrative, and for you both to be approaching it with individual stories that have some parallels, I think ends up, you, you've kind of ended up creating something that so many people can connect to. It's quite a generous piece of work, I think, in many ways, because so many people can think about their own experiences through what you are sharing so openly because it is you know very intimate work and Zachary you you mentioned you know these kind of different spaces that these communities non-communities were forming in this work was presented in quite a fine art context you know it had a, there was a gallery exhibition and both of you have worked across lots of different mediums like you know we heard in the introductions at the beginning you're both very multidisciplinary in your approach, having worked in film, editorial, publishing, photography, you know, you're both multi-talented. And I wondered if you could just talk to us a little bit about how that wider practice works for both of you, how you kind of move from one medium to another. Are there some formats that are particularly effective in reaching particular audiences? 
um, you know, how that's kind of developed for each of you? I, you know, I think that different things have become available as time has gone on. And in the nascent phase of trans representation, we, or, you know, I'll speak for myself, I never saw a pathway to existing in any kind of legitimate industry. And so filmmaking didn't feel like a viable option just because there was no trans people that I'd, or no out trans people that I'd ever witnessed in any realm of film or professional industry, unless one was non, non-disclosing of their trans history, which it's so fascinating that you also barely see today. I was just reflecting on that. I was like, I only can think of like one person who doesn't talk about their trans history or pretends that they don't have one. Whereas back then, that was the standard or certainly the thing to reach for if one could. And the tools that are available to us are. You know, I think that projects tell you the medium, you know, like when you have an idea, the idea will kind of necessitate or dictate the form and as many tools as you can deploy from your toolkit to use, you know, they all come in handy ultimately. And as time has gone on, the opportunities to tell the stories of, of, gender diverse people have been ample have you know become more available larger arenas for storytelling so i don't know if you can identify with that amos but for me i feel that accessibility is a big thing for how i for why i focused on photography and, and publishing in the beginning you know i wanted to tell stories i wanted to document a moment in time and I wanted to connect with people who were like me or, you know, who are trans, maybe not like me other than the transness, but to, to, to understand and, and meet other people. And that, what grew out of that moment for me was photo series about trans men and original plumbing, you know, teaching myself how to throw together a, a magazine, basically. And that also inspired the collaboration with Zachary and then the the time period changing with with how with what was going on with trans culture and the amount of visibility and the amount of like heat in Hollywood that the conversations that became you know this hot topic that everyone was um, in on but with that came a desire personally and a burnout of photo based projects and and self publishing because it's full-time job and it's it was exhausting um and when i saw the shift in culture and 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 storytelling on television and and in film it inspired me to to see you know my my connection to those mediums as well and there's always space for telling more trans stories and or having a you know trans point of view whether or not the story is inherently trans and yeah so accessibility for me is 
how my journey has shifted from photography to to screenwriting, but I always feel like I'm not finished with with photo based work at all. It's just there's been a moment since a uh, new work has come out. You got distracted with Hollywood. I, I did. <laughs> I got distracted. <laughs> Hollywood will do that. <laughs> But it's interesting to hear you both speak about it because, you know, I just think of you both being pioneers in these different fields that you've worked in. And yeah, it's interesting to hear how some the journeys have been somewhat organic as new things have developed and, and as things have changed. One of the big things that I've reflected on in the exhibition Dreaming of Home is this 30-year period of change because Kathy Opie's image was made in 1993. And for me, you know, that's a really formative artwork and it's something that, um, you know, I, I think to all the time. And when I have shown that 30-year-old work to art, younger artists, people making work now, they've been really shocked to hear that that artwork is 30 years old because it still feels super urgent and radical in its own way. And so we've had a lot of dialogue as the show has come together and since it opened around this 30-year period of change and how there has been a lot of progress, but there have also been a lot of new challenges arising. And at times it feels like one step forward, two steps back. And something that's come up, I think in every podcast episode so far, has been how a lot of the rhetoric we're hearing now is somewhat reminiscent of that period kind of late 80s, early 90s, and a lot of the language that we're hearing in the media particularly is kind of bringing back the homophobia during the AIDS crisis. But the people and the community that we're really seeing being targeted now is the trans community and particularly trans people of colour really suffering. And as you know, we've got many trans perspectives in this exhibition, which as you rightly said, Amos, is so important and we can never have enough trans perspectives um, kind of being brought to the fore. But I wondered if you could respond to the notion of art and culture helping us navigate these kind of very urgent and sensitive issues and the role that you've seen art and culture play in your own lives, whether that's the work you've been making or work that's impacted you directly. Yeah, I think of it less as one step forward, two steps back, and more that it's all forward movement. It's just getting both better and worse simultaneously, because progress is moving alongside opposition, which is transforming, but it's absolutely the same playbook that has always been used against queer people. And since, you know, federal protection of gay marriage, although, you know, states in the U.S. have tried to claw that back, it's widely accepted. I mean, the majority of America supports gay marriage, whereas with trans rights, it's still uh, a minority and it's on both sides even. So we have a lot of cultural work to do and I think it's truly an all hands on deck scenario and it'll take all of us doing this work together for the rest of our lives to push it forward but the grooming language um you know all of these things are absolutely recycled and you can kind of swap out the 
boogeyman. Today, that's trans people. And yes, absolutely. In a, in a white supremacist culture, trans women of color are the ultimate boogeymans because it represents the intersection of racism, misogyny, and trans misogyny. I mean, it's all of the systems of oppression kind of layered on top of each other to create conditions that are just excruciatingly impossible. And I think that <laughs> to be trans at all in this in this cultural climate is enough to drive a person crazy. <laughs> and it's so important that we fortify and strengthen um, each other by building community because the only way through it is together. It's frightening to think about. For me personally, when we were creating this body of work 2010, even though there was less visibility and there were still all the struggles that trans people, especially trans women of color, have every day, it still felt less, from my point of view as a white trans man, it felt less uh, targeted on a, on a, in a wider conversation in America. Um, I feel like people were not talking about transness um, at that time and using it as a weapon and using it as a, as a political pawn and, you know, use, and recycling the language, of course, to uh, target trans people. Did you notice that, Zachary? Do you feel that way? Like, it felt like it wasn't easier. I'm just saying it just wasn't, uh, it feel, felt like it, it was, was more clandestine. Uh, it was a quieter existence for some of us. And there can be a safety to being under the radar in that way sometimes. I think it's interesting as well thinking about that in the context of this collaborative photo project, because this project, you know, raises questions about private and public space, the safety of a domestic space, you know, it makes you really think about the dangers of the outside world for trans people as well. You know, if you were kind of, I mean, it's sort of a nonsensical question, but I think thinking about that body of work that you made in 2010, if you were making an, another collaborative project now, maybe I'd love to see one. <laughs> You know, what would what would the themes be that you would be addressing, you know, just kind of thinking about the changes that we've seen in the last decade or so? Is there anything in particular that you would highlight or that you'd do differently? Oh, I mean, I think we're making those projects now, you know? Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, absolutely. Like, I wouldn't <laughs> want to change the way anything from this project. You know, I think that I love the way that it is. I don't have any regrets. And if we created it again today... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, I think coming from, you know, the way that we've both evolved or, you know, transitioned throughout our lives, it has, uh, we are working on in similar spaces even today. And, you know, the meta arc is that we were discovering ourselves. We were using photography and collaboration as a way to see ourselves, understand our shared experience. And often that happens through a, a process of self-exploration, self-interrogation, whatever you want to use for it. We were becoming actualized as humans in the world. 
And that's crucial work for young people to do. And trans and non-binary people do that later in life than our peers most of the time because we're being raised in environments where we cannot express ourselves adequately or fully. And I found that, you know, my early artworks were a way for me to understand who I was. And once that work was out there, it was time to move on to other stories. So what are the other stories that are coming up next? What, can, what are you both working on? What can we expect to see? What are you doing, Amos? I want to know. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I just got out of a however many month strike as a writer. So for the next project that will air in the future will be Clean Slate on Amazon Freebie starring Laverne Cox. And yeah, Zachary, you can maybe add to that or what? tell me more. Tell me about you. I mean, and then, oh, and you know, it, yeah, that's what, that's what I can speak to, right? That's my next thing. And uh, I, oh my gosh, I mean, there's a season for everything in life. And I have been putting intentional work to heal um, the parts of myself that have been neglected. And so I just would like to acknowledge that, that like I've been very oriented towards my professional life for so long that at 40 years old, I'm recognizing the need to invest in myself. in a way that I think the the things that have been so long neglected. But I'm working on my next feature documentary, which is a super juicy story. And that's all I'll say about that. And have some short films that executive produced that are being submitted to film festivals this year, as well as feature documentary that I executive produced also being submitted to festivals. And yeah, I might have some unexpected tricks up my sleeve for 2024. (laughs) But I do, yeah, all, all in due time. Lots of big things coming. Well done, both of you, for only telling us the things you're allowed to tell us. I feel like you were both <laughs> you were both almost oversharing there, and I was like, "Come on, spill the beans!" But that was a wonderful demonstration in self restraint. <laughs> well, that was just enough. You've got us on the edge of our seats. I can't wait. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so we're we're coming to the end, which means I'm going to ask you both my cheesy question that I ask everybody because I just want to hear everybody's answers. What is your dream of home? Can my answer be literal that I want to buy a li- an actual home? Like, my- <laughs> yeah, mine too. I think <laughs> I, 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 I was actually just dreaming of home last night and it was my home but bigger. It was my home with like a much bigger yard. And I would love for my home in the future to have space for community, to have space for more people. 
I wonder if our survival in the future won't necessitate communal and collective living and working together to cultivate land and share resources. And I wonder sometimes if that's what we will work towards um, to, you know, live more holistically on the land and to counteract the detrimental impact of climate change. And um, hope is not lost. There is plenty of brain power to innovate and to create new ways to live. It is probably not within the framework of advanced capitalism, which has sort of run its course. And it won't be a singular genius who saves us either. Um, We all have something precious to offer. And we are all connected. Absolutely beautiful. (laughs) I'm like, I just want to buy a house. (laughs) (laughs) Same, but yeah. Same. I mean, I think as like, you know, as trans, as, as a trans person, like wanting to invest and secure my future as a person who will eventually retire and wants to feel safe and trying to find the best place, both safe, you know, physically and emotionally, but also with climate. Like, where is going to be my safe haven in X amount of years? And I want a space. I want enough space to have, um, I want to be able to um, have my arms out and spin around in circles in every room. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great goal. goal. Yeah, that's a great goal. (laughs) Stability, security, and arm span space. Yes. Yeah. Great. I wish for that for both of you. Um, thank you so much for sharing so much with us and for joining me on the podcast. It was really beautiful to hear from both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Gemma, thank you for, for this, this wonderful yeah. show. Thank you. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by the Leslie Lohman Museum of Art. Dreaming of Home is on view until January 7th, 2024. Learn more about the show at lesleyloman.org. Join us for the next episode in this series where we ask, where can we feel at home, in our skin, in each other's embrace, amongst our chosen families? Where are our queer and trans bodies safe, housed and free to be themselves? I'm Gemma Rolls-Bentley and this is Dreaming of Home. The show music is Fantasy Island Obsession, written and performed by friend of the podcast, Tom Rasmussen, featuring Kai Isaiah Jamal.